That's awesome. Well, Proverbs chapter 17, Proverbs chapter 17, we just keep on uh, moving ever so slowly, it seems like, but we're not in any hurry, and we don't have any any plan outline or anything like that. We're just, ma'am? Oh, no, no, not all night. It's kind of like a... Kind of like somebody said, their sermon's kind of like a train where you could just unhook it, you know, at whichever car you wanted for that particular trip. And so uh, I'm not sure where we'll end. I only know where we will begin. And that's in verse number 6, Proverbs 17 and verse number 6. You know, there are some of these... uh, Some of these verses, it would be real easy to just really get bogged down and stay there for uh, an extended period of time. And for me, this is one of those. It's talking about uh, Sunday, uh, the the message Sunday night, uh, the days of thy youth. Uh, That was the title of the message. And uh, so whenever you, you know, you start thinking about young people and, and for those of us, you know, that have children, why automatically your mind goes directly to them and the grandchildren. Well, here in verse number 6, it says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. You know, if, if Grandma and Grandpa's ever going to say amen, you know, this, this would be the time right here, right now, because here it's speaking about grandchildren. And uh, remember, this is a proverb, and as I've often said, proverbs are probabilities, they're not promises. And even a lot of preachers, if I think, made some serious mistakes in leaving the impression that the proverbs are promises, and so they'll take a particular proverb like, Chapter 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And, you know, they just automatically make a blanket statement that that's God's promise, that uh, you you do your job the best you can, and the kid's going to turn out all right. You know, that really sounds good as long as your children are all going in the right direction, and then one day you realize, wait a minute, uh, I've done the best that I can, and uh, they went in a different direction. And a lot of people have been put on needless guilt trips uh, simply because of the fact that they feel like it's all my fault that my kid turned out this way. Well, uh, not necessarily. I will admit that none of us have ever done a perfect job of parenting. None of us. We all make mistakes the chances are extremely good that if we do our part and do our best that our children are going to turn out right. That's the probability of it. Now, I'm mentioning all of that for a reason because here it relates to this here. And it's talking about as a general rule. What he says here is true. And uh, there's just something special about grandkids. You know, you've heard the old saying, you know, it's the thing that makes grandkids special is because you can spoil them and then send them home. And there might be some truth, you know, to that because uh, we seem to let them get by with things that, you know, we wouldn't let our kids get by with. But the grandkids come along and they can kind of rule the roost, as it were. Uh, But I'm saying this is as a general rule because I've got to tell you, 
I've known I've known some folks, grandmothers and grandfathers alike. They didn't give a flip about their grandkids or their kids or anybody else. And so there's some exceptions to this, but as a general rule, you know, whenever grandparents see their grandkids, it, it's just like a light comes on, and all of a sudden they just they're they're thrilled about it. And this is especially true when having a whenever back then when having a large family was considered to be uh, a blessing. Uh, you know, if you don't enjoy grandchildren, you're in trouble when you have a, uh, I think last count we've got 37 grandchildren. That's not counting the grand, great, the greats uh, in addition to that, but 37 grandkids and, uh, and eight children. And back in those days, the, the Hebrews viewed that as a sign of God's favor. And having children was something looked upon uh, as blessings. Turn back a few pages to, to Psalms 127, and this has always been a special section of the Scripture to me, and I preach from it many times. Verse 3, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, God's gift, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children in his youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Boy, I wish I had time to really go into some detail about that and, and the benefits of having children. But looking back, uh, and, and Bev didn't feel like being here tonight. She's had a really bad week, but if she was here, she would be tempted to say amen, and if you know her, you know she doesn't do that, but, but she would be tempted because looking back over the years, and uh, <laughs> we began having children, and I mean, it was like stair steps, and... Uh, no, no sooner, you know, would she have one, and it'd just be a matter of months. And but guess what? What? Well, we're going to have another baby. And uh, and after a while, you can see it in their faces. I'm talking about my parents and her parents and and other people, and you can see it in their face. Like, have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? Uh, how, how, how are you going to feed another kid? You can't take care of the ones you got, you know. And I mean, this is what they're thinking. And, and so we knew every time she got pregnant, we knew that we were going to have to face this criticism from other people. You know, here we're excited about it, and it's a blessing to us. We had the five girls, and I was determined we're not quitting until we get a boy. I'm telling you that right now. I, I love the girls, but I want a boy. When you get a boy, he's got to have a brother. And, you know, so, you know, it, go, it goes on and on. But uh, at some, at some, somewhere, you know, it, the Lord stops it where he wants it to stop. I'll just I'll leave it that way. But it's such a shame that people have a tendency to look down on people because they have a lot of kids. Uh, <laughs> Tim can probably tell you that probably there have been people that have been judgmental toward them because they've got so many kids, you know. Uh, uh, so what? I, I think that's wonderful. The Bible says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. 
And so we need to look at our children as a blessing from God and, and our grandchildren as an extension of that. Thank God for them. But notice here in the second half of this verse, because uh, here in the second half it seems uh, more unlikely than the first part. And there's a reason for that. You know, there was a time whenever being the descendant of a honorable family was a cause of great rejoicing. Uh, by that I mean, you know, people took pride in being a, you know, a Smith or a Johnson or whatever the last name was. And, uh, and they were taught from youth, don't you dishonor the, our family name. You, you always remember you're a, you know, a Smith or a Johnson or whatever. Uh, that was important to the father that those children not bring shame and reproach to the name of the family. And the, so the children grew up uh, taking, taking pride in the fact that, you know, that I'm, I'm a member of this family. And notice it says the glory of children are their fathers. So there was a time whenever it was a it was a reason for them to boast. My daddy is you know so and so, and that was a thing with great delight. But we're living in a day where Paul said that we would be. Remember there in Second Timothy chapter three, and talking about the last days and the perilous time. He said they'd be lovers of their own selves instead of lovers of God. But he makes this statement. He says they'll be without natural affection. Without natural affection. Boy, we, we see that all of the time today. We see mothers that bring children into this world and they care nothing about those children whatsoever. There is no love, no affection. We, we see our nursing homes crammed full of elderly people that are there because nobody loves them enough to take care of them and so they just put them in a nursing home somewhere because there's no natural affection. You know, we wonder how our nation gets in the mess that it's in today. I'm telling you, that's it. There's no natural affection. It, it, it ought to be natural. And here he's talking about the, the glory of the children is their father. Well, let me tell you, if you have a godly father and a godly mother, uh, you ought to thank God for that. It'll be something that you rejoice in. It'll be something that you're thankful for and do everything in your power to show your love and appreciation for them. Well, verse number 7, Excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less do lying lips a prince. Now, notice the word excellent there. In the, in the Hebrew, and remember the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the meaning of this Hebrew word is overhanging. It means excess. It means abundance. It means even uh, could be used in the sense of superiority. And here it's used in regards to things that are high and lofty. High and lofty speech becometh not a fool. You know, that that's a word that we might use in describing someone that we would say is an orator. I, I, I had the privilege of being in the presence of and listening to R.G. Lee himself preach before he died. And R.G. Lee was an orator. He, 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 just, he, he could paint 
word pictures and had that southern draw. And I, 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 I can remember sitting there just like in a trance. I was spellbound listening to the way that he would weave the words together and, and you, you got that picture and it's just like you're there. You know, Spurgeon was able to do that. And uh, so these are people that we would call orators. Uh, there are others that would qualify as orators that are not necessarily preachers, but they are extremely gifted in the art of speaking. And, and this is what he's saying, that such speech here becometh not. In other words, it's not fitting for, for a fool. It's unbecoming of somebody that is a fool. We, so many times, you know, we say that a person ought to practice what they preach. And that's the point here. The point is that a sermon, for example, on godliness is not becoming uh, for an ungodly man. Uh, you know, you could go down here and get uh, you get some drunk out of a bar room somewhere that might have been raised in church. They might have gone to Sunday school all of their life. They're well acquainted with the Bible, but they are a drunk or a drug addict or whatever it is. That's their lifestyle. They have no intention of ever changing what they are. Everybody knows them to be exactly what they are, and yet that person might be able to get up and to... Uh, and to speak in, in a manner like that. I remember when I started preaching in the rescue mission as a young preacher, and uh, while the other guys were going to Bible college, I was down there preaching in the rescue mission. And uh, uh, anyway, that's kind of where I got my theological training, I guess you might say. Uh, instead of listening to the professors, I, I would just simply learn from dealing with people that were down and out and I was shocked when I whenever I discovered over a period of time that a lot of these men had they were had been doctors and lawyers I mean they'd be people that had been really successful in the world and because of because of alcohol they're down there on skid row they've ruined their lives and and for a Somebody like that to get up and to give a speech on godly living, for example, would be sickening. It would be repulsive. And you and I both know that the one criticism leveled against Christians more than anything else is that, well, there's just too many hypocrites in the church. Well, the fact of the matter is they're right because even if there's one hypocrite in the church, that's too many. None of us ought to be hypocrites, but that's no excuse for them. You know, they're not relieved of their responsibility just because some of us Christians fail. But for us, and listen, this doesn't just apply to, to people that are public speakers and preachers and Sunday school teachers. It applies to every Christian wherever you work, the people that you deal with, those people that you intermingle with. For you to say one thing, you know, in, uh, in the lunchroom where you're discussing religion and, boy, you give your little speech about what a great Christian you are, and then, boy, as soon as work is over, it's off to the bar room with your buddies, you know, and that does so much harm to the cause of Christ. 
whenever they see our hypocrisy. So excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less do lying lips a prince. Now, this is the same issue here, but but it's using a different example of it. And notice he says, much less do lying lips a prince. Now, a prince is somebody in a position of leadership. This is someone in a position of authority. This is someone that has status, you know, in the uh, in the community. Somebody that's looked up to as a leader. Someone you can depend upon for advice and so forth. And if anybody's going to be truthful, you know, it ought to be the prince. You know, today we might, you know, we've got a totally different political system, and you know, this would apply to politicians. And it's so very unbecoming of politicians, those that would be leaders in our nation, those that would defend our Constitution. It's so unbecoming for them to get up and say, if I'm elected president, you know, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do the other. And everybody knows it's a lie, but, you know, there are those that cling to the hope that, well, just maybe they'll deliver on some of those promises and... uh, Put the person in office, but it's all based on lies. What what a terrible tragedy that is whenever whenever our leaders become the butt of ridicule and jokes, and, 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 and that, that's where we're at today. There's so few times that you find someone that has earned the respect of the people, Somebody that can say, you know, my word is my bond and I say it and you can depend on it. You can take it to the bank. You just don't find a lot of people that way today. But we ought to, we ought to be that kind of a person where our, our testimony before the world is consistent with our manner of life. Verse 8. A gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it. Whithersoever it turneth, it prospereth. Over the years in preparing for Sunday school lessons or sermons or whatever it is, I've always tried to avail myself of all of the information, you know, that I could. I, and so I've spent a lot of time reading. And I don't apologize for that. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not like the old preacher, you know, from the deep south that told the young college graduate preacher, I ain't got no, God ain't got no use for your book learning, and and the young preacher said, nor has he any greater need for your ignorance, my brother, and so, you know, we need to read, we need to learn, but we've got to be careful that we don't allow the commentaries to determine our theology. And it happens so many times that we base what we believe on what Dr. Who done it said. And so preachers get up and they quote them and say, well, uh, th- this is what it means because so-and-so said that's what it means. Well, let me tell you, I- I've read numerous commentaries on this particular verse of Scripture here, and uh, everyone that I read take this in an evil sense. And they do so by interpreting the word gift as a bribe. They say a bribe is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it. 
and, and, and by the way, I've tried to figure out, I've tried to research, I've tried to find out, how can you come to some conclusion like that and not just one? It's not just Matthew Henry, you know. It's this one and that one and the other one. It's not just the older classic uh, commentaries. It's some of the new commentaries say the same thing. I have no idea where they get that, but I'm just telling you, I don't believe it. I believe whenever he says here a gift is as a precious stone, he's talking about a gift, period. And it's precious. Why? Because a gift is an expression of love. Now, on the market, it might not bring very much. It might not be anything that's really expensive. You know, you could sell it on eBay or something and not get anything out of it. Nobody might even want it, but to you... It's a precious gift. Uh, I, I can look, you know, there in, in my office and in my bedroom in different places and, and find different things that, that were given to me. I, uh, Brandon Christie walked in and uh, thinking about a gift. I, I have a gift from her mother, by the way, that was given to me several years ago that I keep in my office and... Uh, it's a very meaningful gift to me and, and I, uh, others. I have, uh, I have pictures drawn by children in the church and grandchildren. It's hard to throw something like that away because I'm telling you, I, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather have a picture scribbled on you know, some, of this, some of this cardboard stock or something like that by one of my grandkids I, I'd, with a Crayola. I'd much rather have that than uh, have a real expensive gift you know, given to me by somebody that I know don't even really care about me at all. And it's really hard to throw something like that away. I... I'm not going to admit to being a hoarder, but I, I hate to get rid of things. I, you, you know, they got shows about that now. They got yeah, and and, that, and now they've got these what they call organizers, and this one they have, uh, it, it's some sort of Japanese technique, to where the Japanese, uh, I think they call it the Japanese joy technique that you go through all of your stuff. And, and whatever you come across that doesn't bring you, bring you joy, you throw it away. So I thought, well, I'll try that. So I got rid of all of the vegetables and the electric bill. <laughs> and so far, I'm hanging on to everything else. Well... I'm trying to say those those gifts. Notice he says a gift is like a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it. Uh, it it's meaningful, and whithersoever he turneth it, it prospereth. And you, you know, whenever you think about uh, expressing your love, it, it, I think it's a good thing to get in the habit of giving. And by the way. Giving does not have to be extravagant. It doesn't have to be something where you just spend a lot of money. It can be a, it can be a, a pocket watch, Sue. Hey, I could look out there and I could start naming a bunch of you that uh, cufflinks, Ray. I, I've, yeah, I've, I, I've got those, and uh, and I could go on and on and on. And those things mean something to me, and I'm not going to throw them away. And, and, and I think all of us need to be, you know, the kind of people that make it a habit of, of doing things by way of expressing our love one for another. And so 
Let's go on. Verse number 9. What time is it? Well, we got time for another verse or two. Yeah, we've got to, we've got to hit this one. Verse number 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Boy, if ever there was a proverb that had great practical value, I'm telling you, this is it. And um, whether we seek it or not, eventually we become aware of the faults and failures of others. For preachers, they called that first year, you know, the honeymoon period. Church has a new preacher. They haven't heard all of his sermons. They've only seen his best side. They've never seen him, how he's going to respond to adversity. You know, they, they just really don't know a lot about him. But after a while, you, you, you begin to realize, well, wait a minute, he's not really perfect after all. I'll never forget, I, I, really it was embarrassing to me. I, shortly after I moved here and Brother uh, Dennis Maxey and I had gone fishing. And uh, so we're down on the west fork of the San Jacinto River about three miles up, way up there. And, and I, I won't bore you with the whole story. But there was a couple of punk kids up there that kept trouting that. And we was in a spot catching fish. And they kept crowding us. I ended up about getting in a fight with them. And there, poor Max, Maxie sitting back there, one of my deacons, and I, and I thought, <laughs> I wonder what he's going to think of this. And, uh, but, but he learned that day, I'm not perfect. You can push me only so far, you know, and I'm going to say something about it. And uh, I, I'm not proud of that. I'm just using that as an illustration to show you. We can all look at each other. And see those imperfections. It's fun watching these young couples fall in love, you know. And, uh, boy, I embarrassed myself uh, Sunday. No, I embarrassed uh, one of our young ladies, I think. She, I, I'm looking around here to make sure I don't do it again. And she was with a young man, and... Uh, and he said something, and I said, I said, oh, yeah, and mentioned the name. He said, no, no, it's, uh, it's <laughs> something else. The guy I mentioned was here the other day with her, you know. So, so anyway, but it's really fun watching the, them develop relationships like Brandon and Christy and I, it's, that's one of the benefits of staying in the same place a lot of years and you look around and and you can look back and think about whenever the, the couple developed a relationship and they fell in love and naturally you get married and you think oh wow I found my prince charming or whatever you know and and though you're so madly in love but you, you know she has never seen you first thing in the morning you know the way you look and you haven't brushed your teeth, and my land, the bad breath, and your, and and after a while you begin to see all of these faults, and everything begin to fall apart. The same thing happens with with us as church members. And and, and after a while, being you know together so much, after a while we begin to realize, well, hey, oh so and so, boy, they they got a temper, you know. Uh, 
that stinker's got a bad attitude sometimes or whatever, and we begin to see those. Well, here's the thing, and, and this is the warning. It says, he that covereth the transgression seeketh love. What are you going to do whenever you take notice of the faults and the failures of that other person? And he, he's simply reminding us that if we are motivated by love for that person, we're going to cover that transgression. transgression. We're, we're, we're going to cover it up. We're going to hide it. We're not denying it. We're just not going to publicize it. We're not going to let others know about it. We're going to conceal it. Well, maybe somebody's thinking, oh, yeah, but well, what if it's really a serious sin? Well, I thought all sin was serious. And, and the whole fact of the matter is, you know, if it's not something you can do something about, there's no need in talking about it. And you can't do anything about it unless there are two or three witnesses. And so unless you're ready to introduce charges against a brother or sister in Christ and, and bring it before the church and have two or three witnesses and carry out the church discipline process, if you're not willing to do that, you're much better off to just forget about it, just, just ignore it. Notice, he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. In other words, we ruin relationships. We break up very friends, that is, close friends. We ruin those friendships. How do we do it? By, he says, by repeating a matter. And that's why I've said so many times, uh, just the other day I mentioned the same thing, that sometimes all of our talk about a person's sin does more harm than the person's sin. In other words, listen, it makes it a lot more difficult for them to recover. We all do things that, you know, that are failures in our life and, uh, and we recover from that. But if our failure is publicized, if everybody in the church knows about it, you know, our first thought is, I'm not interested in making it. I want out of here. I am so embarrassed that, you know, I've embarrassed myself so that I'm leaving. And, and let me tell you, from experience, I, that happens. A lot of people leave the church. And, and, and it's the fact that they have failed in some way and they, they are so embarrassed that they don't want to deal with it and make it right. Instead of doing that, it's off to another church and they say something like, oh, well, God just led me to a different church. Blame God for it. But I'm telling you, it's a serious, it's a serious violation on our part whenever we talk to others about the sins of people and we end up ruining their relationship. By the way, this, this can be done in numerous ways. It's not just a matter of gossip. It can be nagging and harping, bringing up somebody's past failures, reminding them of that. You know, we say, well, yeah, you know, you failed and I forgave you. And, uh, you know, a year goes by. Hasn't been any mention of it. But all of a sudden, you're in a bind, and now it's a good time to use their past failure to your advantage and in some way get yourself off the hook for something. And so what do we do? 
we bring up the fact, well, I remember I remember a year ago what you did too, you know. You're not so you're not so Mr. Perfect. And it's a horrible, terrible thing when we do that and we end up ruining our relationship with other people. Our our relationship as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, ought to be so precious that we protect it the best we can and the only thing that will enable us to do that is to love each other dearly. Because when we love one another, what are we going to do? We're going to look out for the best interest of the other party. My wife might have some faults. And I said might. I didn't say she did. But I tell you, I'm not going to tell you what they are. And I can look back, and I'm so thankful over the years for the times that I know of that she stood up to somebody and protected me and my interests whenever they were being critical about something. That's what love does. And I, I got news for you. I'd protect you the same way. Somebody start, you know, talking bad about you. I, I'm, I'm going to let them know in a way to me. I don't want to hear it. I mean, if you don't have any proof of that or evidence of it, and even if you do, even if you do, I'm really not concerned about hearing your charges against them. We need to protect our relationship with each other. And please, please don't go away saying, oh, that preacher down there thinks you ought to just totally ignore the faults and failures and sins of people, just slough it off like it's no big deal. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm simply saying that it doesn't do any good to go out here and publicize the faults of one another. And as I've often said, our business as a church, our business is church business. It's not anybody else's business. And, and, and we, we've got no reason to go out here and talk to others about what's going on in our church. That's family business. You ever have a family meeting? Wife, husband, get all the kids together. We have a family meeting. We're going to talk about this or that. And, and you expect it to stay right there because what you're talking about is not something you want the whole neighborhood to know about. And when it comes to church business, we ought to keep it as church business. Well, I hope something here tonight in one of these verses has maybe been a blessing or a help to someone. And Lord willing, next week we're going to pick up in verse number 10, a reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool and that's where we'll start lord willing all right let's all stand together to be like jesus to be like jesus all i ask to be like him all through life's journey from earth to glory all i ask to be like him let me mention one other prayer request and that is kept will be singing out at uh, at waller i forgot the name of the church out there but they'll be singing out there sometime on Saturday. 
I think maybe that's in the bulletin and you can get the details, but uh, pray for them as they go out there. Brother James McGee is the pastor, and uh, just pray that the Lord will pour out his blessings upon them. All minds clear. We're going to bow our heads together and go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Carl, would you lead us, please?